You're listening to the Manverse Podcast with your host Tom Traplin, and this is session number 89. The Manverse Podcast is supported by Honeycomb Credits. Honeycomb Credit is here to support your small business during these uncertain times. As a leader in crowd-funded small business loans, Honeycomb gives you the opportunity to raise community capital from your customers, fans, and the network of Honeycomb investors. Sign up and get connected with one of their funding experts by going to manaversaga.com forward slash honeycomb. If you're a local game store owner and need a funding, working with Honeycomb Credit creates a way for your existing community to invest in the future of your business. If you want to support the local game store in your area, let them know how Honeycomb Credit can help. Go to manaversaga.com forward slash honeycomb to sign up and get started today. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Manaverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and I have with me today... Kylie Primus. Kylie Primus has been the owner of Games Unlimited in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania since 2015, but Games Unlimited is one of the original founded game stores in North America. Opening their doors for the first time in 1979, Games Unlimited has been serving the Pittsburgh community for decades, bringing people and games together the whole time, with a special focus on being community-oriented, family-friendly game experts. Kylie and the Games Unlimited crew help people find the perfect game for their needs and have built a thriving business while doing so. Thank you for coming on the show, Kylie. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Tom. No problem. Thank you for joining me. I'm glad we were able to uh, finally get connected. I'm looking forward to our conversation. For sure. So how have things been for, let's say, the last four months? Four months. Okay. Well, so for two of the last four months, we were completely closed. Um, that was interesting. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the store has been in business since 1979. And since that time, pretty much the doors are only closed Thanksgiving day, Christmas day, and New Year's day. Um, and so then to, to have to kind of shut the whole thing down, uh, you know, I put, put, uh, paper up in the windows, just, you know, really made the whole thing closed down for two months was, was hard. Um, in, like a lot of stores, is there's that time of severe uncertainty uh, when we're going to be able to open up again. Now in Pennsylvania, we were we were under very very strict restrictions. Uh, we were not allowed to do curbside delivery. Um, the the technical phrase was you were only allowed to do e-commerce if you were before the pandemic a, a an e-commerce only store that did not have a physical brick and mortar place um so we we literally could do nothing other than sell gift cards um, on our website and uh i tried to my biggest purpose during that time so this was you know april may uh, my biggest goal was keeping up on social media keeping putting my newsletters out there making sure that my customers didn't forget about us right the the big worry is you, once you train your customers, so in this case, I can't sell them games, but they can buy games online. Uh, once they get trained to do that, they may not come back <laughs> when, when, when the doors open again. So uh, I did a lot of uh, like weekly Zoom game nights, just sort of free for my customers. So we'd, we'd do rolling rights and things like that over Zoom. And um, I think, it, running out of ideas for a while i just went through my personal game shelf at home <laughs> like every day i'd do a facebook video of well here's what's on this shelf and here's what this game's about just just as a way to stay engaged with with the community so that when we did open back up people would we wouldn't have been out of people's mind sure uh, and we we got the clear to open up at the end of may um now i I made the decision, uh, which I'm still holding to, to not actually have the storefront open. So we don't let customers come into the store, uh, but we're doing curbside, we're doing delivery, and we had an overwhelming outpouring of support. I mean, the, the sales that came in right off the bat were, were huge. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because you, 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 feel, you feel doubly frustrated. You know, one, obviously as a business owner, you're not able to do business, but two, I'm sitting on a product that people want. <laughs> you know they're stuck at home they want games they want puzzles um 
reading about the national shortage of jigsaw puzzles in the month of April and yeah. knowing I got a back room full of them <laughs> that I can't get to people. So it was nice when, when we were able to open up and, you know, even now, even though we're not, you know, we're not having people in the store, we're not doing events, we're not, you know, I, I can't have my game demos out to show people, um, but people are still coming. They're still, you know, ordering things online. They're knocking on the door and I say, hey, you know, we're not letting people in, but they go, that's fine. You know, what do you recommend for this? You know, and they'll just make a purchase right there. Um, so overwhelmingly people have been, have adjusted to that and been very, very gracious in, in spending money to support us. That's fantastic. Uh, would you attribute that to your reputation as experts? The fact that you've been open for so Absolutely. long that your customers have kind of gotten used to shopping that way or shopping with you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not something, you know, I, I wish I could tell other store owners, oh, this, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. But I, I attribute, I attribute my success to everything we've built up over the mm -hmm. past 40 years, you know, um, and the things that I've built up since I've taken over the business, just to have that loyal customer base, because they, they know us, they trust us, you know, I, we are board game focused. Right, so we sell RPGs. I actually just started doing RPGs again a few years ago. Being in business as long as we've had, we've saw lots of ebbs and flows. I mean, in the early 80s, we sold video game systems. And, um, you know, the 80s, it was RPGs, 90s, it's magic. You know, you just kind of go mm -hmm. with the trends of the industry. But since I've been on board, my passion is board games. Um, so that's been our focus, uh, I think, 85% of my total sales are board games. You know, so oh, we don't, okay. we don't do collectible card games. We don't do, we don't run events. We don't do miniatures and things like that. And that's been a big boon, right? Because a lot of stores that focus on that, their revenue stream is very dependent on events. Yep. Um, and with the shutdown, that's become harder. Um, or impossible. Or impossible. Or a lot of places. <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, but what I what I like to tell stores who, who are trying to get into board games is that for board games, it's it's not an it's not an easy quick buck. I think sometimes people look, oh, there's this board game boom happening. This board game boom been happening for the last ten years, and you know if I just bring in Catan and Ticket to Ride and stick it on my shelf, they're going to sell like hotcakes. And then that doesn't happen, and they think, well, people aren't buying board games, so they're buying them online. And and I say, you know. I, I don't sell magic. I couldn't tell you the difference between an alpha card and a Zendikar or whatever they're doing. It's, it's not something I know anything about. If tomorrow I started selling magic, I probably wouldn't be very good at it. It wouldn't be sure. like an instant cash cow because I don't know it. It's not a product that I've, I've you know, invested time in or hired people to, to do. And it's the same thing with board games. You know, my staff and I are passionate about that. We know all the new stuff that's coming out. We know all the designers. We know all the publishers. We are going to make sure that you find a game that you love. And we're going to make sure you get addicted to playing games <laughs> and come back next month. Oh, well, that one was great. What else you got for me? What else you got for me? And you just build that trust over time. You know, people, many, many, many people, gamers in the city of Pittsburgh, wouldn't be gamers if it weren't for us because we've turned them on to the pastime. You know, maybe they walked in looking for a copy of, you know, some mass market game and, you know, I'll sell them that, but I'll also say, Hey, have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? Let me, you can take this game home and try it. You can do this. And, and the whole point is just to get, get everyone else as excited about them as, as we are. And the whole knowledge and expertise and passion and enthusiasm yeah. really, pays off for that kind that's, of thing. That's the foundation. That's the key. <laughs> that's absolutely the key. And, you know, I think store owners know that. That's why they started a store because they were passionate. You know? mm -hmm. um, so you just got to capitalize on that. Unfortunately for some store owners, they, especially the traditional game store model where it is focused on events, uh, this is something mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you probably would have wanted to start building this foundation three to five years ago. So now you got to kind of have to, <laughs> sure. you know, roll with the punches a little bit and, and start, uh, start fresh from where we are now. So let's go back in time a little bit. So I wanted to talk about 2015 and how mm -hmm. you kind of, why did you end up purchasing 
games on the middle. Why did you uh, buy it from Bob and, and take over the store? Sure. That was a massive career change on my part. Um, I was actually working on a PhD in philosophy. Um, I went, went into grad school right out of college uh, with the plan to you know, get my PhD, get a tenure track position, and just be a professor for the rest of my life. Um, that didn't really work out for a variety of reasons. But uh, in, I moved to Pittsburgh in 2009 um, because the woman who is now my wife was living in Pittsburgh and I had uh, just lost the teaching position that I, I was, I was had a part-time adjunct teaching position uh, in South Carolina and the funding dried up for that. So I had nothing else to do. So I moved up to Pittsburgh. Wasn't a gamer, wasn't a tabletop gamer at the time. Okay. Uh, been a video gamer my whole life, but never really played much board games, played some role playing in high school, but that was about it. And so I moved up to Pittsburgh, got a job at a coffee shop and Games Unlimited was right across the street from the coffee shop. And my wife and I, actually the game that got me into gaming was Battlestar Galactica, not a gateway game by, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we really liked the show. We had friends that liked the show. I went over to Games Unlimited, picked up this Battlestar Galactica game, proceeded to spend four hours trying to figure out the rules, mm -hmm. um, teaching it to our friends. We all loved it. Um, and that was sort of, that turned me on to the idea, wow, these, these games are different than what I've played before. What else is More out than there? Just Monopoly, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and so from there, you know, moved into Staples, Ticket to Ride, Carcassonne, um, and became a regular at Games Unlimited, you know, and at the time, you know, Bob was there. The store was was inching by, shall we say. Um, and I, I just sort of became friends with Bob. Um, and over the next year or two, as I dove deeper into the hobby, I turned to my wife one day and I said, you know, I'm still working at a coffee shop. I have no career aspirations. What if I, what if I open a game store? Uh, and she said, well, go talk to Bob about that. I said, I don't want to go talk to Bob about that. He'll think I'm his competitor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I did. I worked up the courage. Because like I said, like we become friends. He knew about my, uh, you know, my, my lack of a career at this point in time. And uh, so I went and I said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this. Maybe, maybe opening a game store. I don't want to tread on your feet. Um, but you know, would you have any advice? Would you shoot me away from it? You know, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about you and you're, 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 you're an incredibly intelligent person. You know the product, you know, unbeknownst to me, I'd been helping him, right? He'd sort of fallen out of what's new and what's hot. I'm the, the young spunky upstart who's, you know, on Board Game Geek 12 hours a day and knows everything going on. So he's mining me for information. Mm -hmm. He's asking me what games to bring in. Um, so he said, you know, I've been thinking about you and I think that, uh, you'd be a good fit if you wanted to come work here. And if, and you know, at the time Bob was in his upper sixties, not married, no children. He says, I'm, I want to retire in the next couple of years. Do you want to come on? I'll teach you the business and then sell it to you. Basically an apprenticeship. Um, so that's what we did. Um, I think I started working there in 2012, maybe. Um, I mean, he pretty much immediately handed the keys over to me, handed the reins over to me, said, you know, do what you need to do. I started our store social media presence and uh, uh, cleaned it up a bit and just kept going on the trajectory that I'm still on. Um, and then in 2015, officially purchased it. Um, uh, interesting coda to that story, uh, I had expected uh, so Bob, the, the remainder of Bob's living family lives in Florida, and he had, he had actually semi-retired down there uh, a few years before, but had to come back because the business was struggling. And uh, I expected when, I, when he sold me the store, he would be, he'd moved to Florida, he'd be gone, I'd never see him again. Uh, but in 2014, uh, my wife and I uh, welcomed our first child, and after Bob sold the business to me, he started only coming around when Sienna, that's our oldest, was around. He would email me and say, when's Sienna going to be at the store? I think I'll stop by the <laughs> store then, you know, and pretty soon we're like, Bob, do you want to just come to our house, you know, hang out? Next thing you know, he's, he's babysitting. 
Um, 2016, we had our second child and he is, he's basically their grandfather. I mean, he loves it. It's given him uh, a, a, an absolutely wonderful way to spend his retirement. Um, we just got back from two weeks actually uh, in Michigan vacationing uh, with my wife's family and we brought Bob with us. <laughs> you know. Nice. So, so he, he likes to say he got the better end out of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great story. So it's more than just yeah. a, you know, a business transaction. You actually became friends and then yeah. extended family. And Absolutely. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> so what was the transition like once you took over the shop? Did you do anything differently? Like you said, you mentioned like the social media presence and the store was struggling prior to that. Yeah, the store was struggling before I came on, um, you know, mostly as far as the actual transition, like I said, Bob, Bob had given me free reign before I purchased the store um, to kind of do whatever I saw fit. He trusted me to do that. So there wasn't a lot that, that changed, you know, when the physical title changed hands um, other than, you know, then I, did did a lot more work as far as like I want to rearrange the store, maybe sink some money into the storefront and, and clean things up and do things like that. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, if you were a customer of Games Unlimited in 2014, you probably wouldn't even notice the difference in 2015. Um, you know, there wasn't like a rebranding or anything like that. We, you know, I, I really wanted to lean into the fact that this place is an institution. I mean, mm -hmm. it's been in the exact same location since 1979 wow. um, <laughs> for better or worse it still has the original <laughs> shelving <laughs> from 1979 um, so I didn't want to you know I didn't I didn't want to make a big deal out of that um, yeah I can't think of specific things that sort of pivoted I mean any 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 pivots and changes have happened have largely been the result of just how changes have been happening in the industry in the past five years because things have changed a lot um, but, you know, those aren't necessarily things that customers are going to, to notice on their end. It's more, you know, how, how store owners interact with publishers and, you know, mm -hmm. changes in distribution and our ability to get X, Y, and Z. You know, when I first started, I didn't have to, I wasn't fielding phone calls from people saying, do you have this game? And me going, I've never heard of that game. No, that game's on Kickstarter right now. It won't be out for two years. Yeah, we definitely do not have copies of that game right now. Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, and that is a thing too. You know, when I first started, maybe twice a year, and you know, this was me being completely obsessed with the board game hobby, maybe twice a year someone would walk into the store and mention a game that I'd never heard of. Now it happens almost daily because, you know, you just can't keep up with all the Kickstarters and there's so many publishers popping up and you know, games that are using alternative modes of distribution that they don't come to hobby stores and mm -hmm. you, just, you just can't keep up, you know. Sure. It's been quite the renaissance yes. for gaming in the last couple <laughs> of years. Major explosion and uh, things are changing, uh, it seems like, every couple of months, especially yes, like distribution absolutely. and just design and the publishers involved and all that other stuff. And then, you know, it got another transformation again in uh, another ex another. Ex different kind of explosion like you said yeah. the uh the, the hype on puzzles in march mm -hmm. and april and just like how many people suddenly discovered that you know when you're stuck at home you want something to do <laughs> and puzzles fit the pill right. pretty well or board games when you're stuck at home with your family but uh yeah. you know it's, it's quite an awkward spot for some game store owners to be in like you said you've got all these products that people want to buy but you just can't get it to them right away right right yeah, and I think it's important too. I mean, so as as a store that operates the way we do, we we see ourselves. We are tastemakers. We we lean into the power to make a game popular in the Pittsburgh area. You know, maybe not anywhere else, but it, the reason that's important is I'm not beholden to. I don't feel beholden to figuring out what everybody else wants and trying to make sure I can have enough product of that product in, you know, and have it, you know, in timely. So people buy it from me instead of buying it somewhere else. That's not a game I want to play. Mm -hmm. um, I would rather, like I've said, I've built up tons of trust 
within my community and I'll go out, I'll find this game. I'll know if I can get supply of it. And then I'll push that. I'll say, this is what you need to be playing. This is what's hot. This is what will work for you. So then I don't have to worry about not having the copies of this hot game because I'm not just- You've got the game and you're making it hot. Right, I've got the game, I'm making it hot, exactly. I'm not gonna just, I mean, I'll certainly ride the wave of a hot game if I can get it in and everyone's calling me for it. (laughs) That's free money, I'm not gonna pass that out. But I don't consider that the core of how I run my business. So I don't get as upset when I can't get, you know, 800 copies of Wingspan. No, it's a... That's my phone. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. No, that's, that's fantastic. So how do you go about making a game hot? Like if somebody wanted to be like, oh, what, that sounds like a great idea. How do I do this? Like, what do I, what do I have to do? Who do I right. have to talk to? How do I build the community? Whatever. Right. So a large part of it is knowing the audience that you've already built up, right? So... I, you know, I can go and see the, uh, the example from a few years ago for me, the, the Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game from, come on. It's like, Game of Thrones is hot. I played it, I was like, this is an amazing game. I love this. But I don't have, my players don't play miniatures games. That's not what I've sort of built them to understand. Um, so I knew even though I thought the game was cool, given the price point, given that it's a very different type of game, it's a two-player game, it's, I don't care how much I hype it up, I'm not gonna sell very much of that. Mm-hmm. So knowing what does work, knowing that I have a huge market for two-player games. A lot of my customers love two-player games that play in half an hour or less. Cool, when I see those, I snap those up. Um, and a lot of it's just, so whenever I, whenever I go to a trade show or a convention, and I, I sit down and I demo a product. What I have to think to myself is, can I name five or 10 customers right now that I know would buy this game? Because I know their tastes, I know that they would like it and they'll trust me, you know. <laughs> you get customers that walk in and I'll say, you wanna buy this game and they've never heard of it. And they'll look at me and say, you don't know me, I'm not going to buy that. And then I'll describe it to them and they sheepishly buy it because they know it's perfect for them. <laughs> knowing, knowing your customer base that way, that I can bring this in because I know I've got guaranteed sales of X amount. Then I can bring you know, a bunch of this in. I know I'm going to move some of those. They're going to get the word of mouth out there when they play it with their friends. They're going to come get it for me. You know, Obviously, having things on your demo tables. Now, that doesn't work right now. So you make videos, you know, that's what I was doing during quarantine. Hey, this is what I'm playing with my family right now. I'll do a lot Facebook live playthrough of the thing and just post it to all my social medias so people can see this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm playing, this is why I think you would like this game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a no brainer. It's just old school marketing, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's marketing it's not telling people about a product that they already know and want. It's telling them about a product that they don't know that they want. And how do you spin in that so that they know that they want it? Well, you gotta get to know them first, right? Exactly, that's exactly it. So I know my customer base, I know how to talk to them, I know what to bring in that will speak to them. You know? Now, you get surprises, so I mentioned that it wasn't until a few years ago. It was actually the first time I went to the Gamma Trade Show. I uh, went to a seminar by Paul Butler about role-playing games. And when I came on, I just liquidated all the role-playing. Role-playing wasn't selling for us. It was a dead product line. Mm-hmm. Um, got rid of it all. We're not doing role-playing. Well, my, my manager, he's a big role-player. He's a board gamer too, but he's definitely primarily a role-player. So. I, I listen to that seminar and I start to think, maybe we can do role-playing. I don't know. I come back and I say to my manager, I say, hey, what would you think about us getting back into role-playing games? And he's got this big grin on his face. <laughs> he gives me a hug. He says, yes, let's do it. But for me, I was thinking, how am I going to make this work? I know what my customer base wants. They don't want the traditional D&D campaign. You're getting together once a week for four and six hours at a time, you know, just don't have time for that. Um, so, but I said, we'll, we'll bring stuff in, we'll try it. What I hadn't realized, but I realized very soon is that small independent stuff 
the type of stuff that you can pick up for 20 bucks and play a one shot session, you know, for two to four hours with your friends, basically the type of stuff that you can play the way you would play a board game flies off the shelves. Suddenly, all of my customers are saying, you know, I've always wanted to try role playing. I was intimidated by D&D. I was intimidated by Pathfinder because it's like, you gotta, you gotta commit to these long campaigns. But this stuff that I can play just like I play a board game, I love it, I wanna try it. So suddenly we've got a whole new revenue stream of role playing games that I'm selling to the same people that I didn't think wanted to play role playing games because I'm still meeting the same demand. What they want is a game, they can get together with their friends, have a meal, break out a game and play it, put it back in the box and be done. And there's a certain type of role-playing game that'll do that. That makes a lot of sense. So how do you mine that information? Are you just having conversations with them at the counter and then kind of storing that in your memory banks and just using that for later? Or is, or is there a, another method to, uh, to getting to know your customers that well? No, it's, it's, it's the former. It's, you know, hanging out, chatting with them, um, keeping big lines of communication open. So not just in the store, right? So when we get messages on Facebook, we don't just answer the question, you know, hey, do you have such and such a game? I can say, yes, we have it. Yes, we have it at such and such a price. I'll say, you know, yeah, we've got it. Um, you know, have you played it before? What do you... Why are you drawn to that game? Try to try to engage with them more than just the commercial transaction. And you can do that. Obviously, you can do it when they're in the store, but you can do it when they're contacting you other ways as well. You know, I try to always um, follow up customer questions to us with questions to them, because that does two things. It helps them feel better about your relationship because, oh, you're invested, you care about me. Mm -hmm. But it also gives you information that yeah, you just, I just kind of store it away. Um, and I'll ask my staff too, like, what have you been hearing? Have people been talking about this or that? You know, you just, sure, it's all anecdotal. We don't have a scientific system here. I don't send out surveys or anything. Um, but that's, you know, that's what's fun about running a small business. You, you can just kind of go off the cuff and you see what works. And it usually doesn't cost you very much money to try something. And if it doesn't work, okay, it doesn't work. We try something else. Yeah, you still learn something. Mm -hmm. and what not to do yeah exactly yeah that's fantastic and it's it's definitely something that uh, i'm sure a lot of game store owners do you know they they have that water cooler mm -hmm. chat with customers as they come in that's pretty common but uh yeah i haven't i don't know if i've encountered anyone who's used it to the degree and actually made it a like a major resource for their business that mm -hmm. just this you know regular human to human conversation becomes a uh, like very powerful intel on what you mm -hmm. want to do to serve them and what you can bring to them and then also you know like you said about how you can make a product into something that they want you can tell them that i know you well enough this is the thing that you want to play this is your right, right up your alley you can actually uh right. and, create the trend which and, is very interesting yeah and getting getting your staff buy-in on that is crucial so if I go away for a week or two, I want to be able to come back and say, so what happened while I was gone? And my staff knows I don't mean what were the sales like. I mean, you know, who was in? What demos were people looking at? What were people saying about this demo or that demo? Um, that sort of thing. Just, just mm -hmm. getting that, the general zeitgeist of, sure. of the culture around your store is infinitely useful. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. So let's segue a little bit into, uh, let's, let's talk about Honeycomb. This, you know, this is sure. one of the, uh, one of the reasons that we connected in the first place. And it's probably, I, I got a quote in front of me off their website from you that I, you know, really stands out. Right. And it says, or it says that you said we raised $11,085 in our first day as a business that relies heavily on customer relationships, obviously, uh, giving my customers mm -hmm. a way to support us during the shutdown is a win-win for both of us. So how did that happen? So 11,000, that's, that's a very successful first day of the campaign, obviously. <laughs> yes, yes. I was, uh, in my wildest dreams, I thought maybe we could do 10,000 by the end of it, much less <laughs> 11,000 in one day. Um, 
so how did how did I raise that or how did I come to Honeycomb? Well, let's start off with uh, how did you find them? How did they find you? You know, what uh, sure. tipped you off into uh, uh, taking them up on the campaign and actually like working together? Yeah, so uh, Honeycomb is a Pittsburgh-based company, though they, they, they certainly don't limit what they do to businesses in Pittsburgh. Uh, but I, I was familiar with the company because one of my regular customers works for them. Uh, and he had mentioned mentioned them before sort of in case I ever needed some capital. Their primary function is, is crowdfunded credit, right? So if I ever needed some capital, that would be a way. So like we talked about, you file that away, you keep it on the back of your head. Um, but during the shutdown, uh, I became reacquainted with them because I was, I was on a, uh, a Zoom conversation uh, with the Pittsburgh Urban Redevelopment Association that was basically getting together a bunch of business owners and uh, companies offering services to help businesses during the shutdown. And uh, Honeycomb was there, the particular customer, uh, James Lucio that I know, uh, was on and he sort of pitched that Honeycomb was doing this new loyalty bond thing. So instead of credit, it's uh, a way for customers to, to buy gift cards that they'll redeem over time uh, and that mature. And I thought that sounds like a good idea. Because up to that point, you know, I had been selling gift cards. You can buy e-gift cards on our website because we were shut down. And I'd, I'd done a decent amount of that. Um, but the worry, of course, is, yeah, I could, do, I could do all the gift cards in the world to help me, you know, pay rent for the months that I'm shut down. But as soon as I open again, people are redeeming all these gift cards. I'm kind of back in the same boat. I've now let all this product go, but didn't actually get any money in for that product. So yeah, you're um, kind of just pushing the problem off into exactly. the future to potentially <laughs> when it's a big bottleneck and it takes you out if you uh, sell too much. Right. Right. You're pushing it into the very immediate future. Like as, yeah. as soon as you open, which should be the joyous time, we can open again and make money. It's like, well, we're open again and all of our products leaving the door and no money's coming in. Yeah. Um, so, so I was intrigued by this idea of, okay, people can buy gift cards. They're going to pay out over the next two years, which that sounds good to me. I would assume over the next two years, that gives me, gives me some grace period. Um, it's not going to all come in at once and they're going to, you know, get a little extra. They're going to get 30% more than they put in for it. So it seemed like a win-win to me. I didn't see, you know, and I, you know, I ran the numbers because that was my biggest concern is okay. Mm -hmm. So if I, you know, someone buys a hundred dollars, I'm giving them a 30% increase. So they're going to get $130. Um, so right, right then and there, I'm out 30 bucks. You look at my margins, the product that they're buying, how much money am I making? Is it really, is it actually beneficial? Or is this more, I need to do this because I need money now, but it's going to hurt me in the long run. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, the numbers, the numbers weren't terrible. I think part of that is because as a store, I, you know, I, I sell everything at full MSRP, you know, so I'm, I'm making uh, the full markup uh, that I think one should make uh, when, when selling products like this. Uh, so losing a little bit more wasn't going to make the difference between profitability uh, and otherwise. But then the other thing is that you know, customers are getting these over, over, over four payments over two years. So if you take that person that gave me a hundred bucks now, so they're going to get $130 over the next four years. Well, so their first payment's going to be what? 30 bucks, 30 something dollars. So in December, they're going to get a gift card for $30 and change. My average ticket sale is 50 bucks. If they come in in December to spend their $30, I guarantee you they're going to spend more than that. <laughs> so it's not just, that they're getting that 30% more and I'm losing that 30%. No, no, no. They're going to buy more than what the gift card is. You know? Yeah. So, so your average order value is going up. Right. Exactly. And anything extra above is they're paying me like my full markup. So, um, and I even had customers contact me during the campaign and said, Hey, I want to support you. I don't want the extra 30%. <laughs> you know? And they'd say, can you, can you not give me the extra 30%? And I said, that's a logistical hassle. Just don't spend it. <laughs> but so, so it just, when I ran the numbers, I said, 
this seems like a no-brainer. And at the time, we'd set, we'd set the initial funding goal for $3,000 in 30 days to raise that. Uh, and I, I figured we can do it. I mean, and we, had, we had already done three or $4,000 in e-gift cards mm-hmm. at that time. So I figured 3,000 is easy. Like I set my sights, my, my wildest dreams, what I would be completely happy with, uh, think, that it's, think that it's possible, but would also feel like I'm reaching high would have been to do 10,000 by the end of the 30 days. Um, we hit our $3,000 goal in half an hour, I think. Um, <laughs> and as you mentioned, it was like 11,000 by the end of the first day. Um, and again, that, that, was, that was completely on the back of customer loyalty. I mean, I've talked to other store owners, you know, I told other store owners about it. I, I definitely wanted them to give it a try because I don't think there's much to lose. Um, mm-hmm. but would be asked like, what's the secret? How did you do as much as you did? And I don't, I don't think there was any secret to how I ran the campaign. The secret was just, I had loyal customers. Yeah. Customers who wanted to support you. And that was just a way yeah. of doing it that right. also worked for them. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I would see people, the same person bought a gift card when we were closed then bought a loyalty bond when that came up. Then when we opened back up again, bought product, not using the gift cards that they had already bought. <laughs> you know? um, and there's just no substitute for that kind of, uh, of loyalty. So that's, that's really the secret that we had. Um, and again, replicating that is a much more long-term thing. Um, but it may be something to think about moving forward for a lot of stores. How do you, how do you really get that? Uh, sure. I think that's customer loyalty is probably one of the best foundations to build a business on, right? Cause getting a new customer is far more expensive and time consuming and, and involves a lot more effort than it does to just make the customers already shopped with you, you know, just happy enough to come back. Right. That absolutely they're, they're already, you know, they already have momentum. You're just going to give them a light push and they come back. You give them good service. They come absolutely. back. And it sounds like you are building like a genuine relationship with them, not just as a customer, right? You get to know the person and you get to know what they like and what they don't like and just who they are as people. And, you know, obviously people do business with people that they know, like, and trust, right? So obviously your customers Mm -hmm. do all those things with you and your staff, presumably. Absolutely. And it's important to recognize that, because I, I do think sometimes some game store owners forget that we are selling a luxury good, right? This is mm-hmm. a, a hobby, a pastime. It's a way to spend uh, disposable income. Uh, often it's, it's fairly pricey compared to some things you could be doing. Um, and the reason I mention that is that if the people who are willing to spend their excess money on a luxury good, are going to value customer service, are going to value that relationship. It's not a waste of time, nine times out of 10. It's not a waste of time for me or my staff to spend half an hour, 45 minutes with a new person in the store, talking to them about this, that, and the other, uh, only for them to turn around and then buy you know, a $15 copy of Flux. By some metrics, people are like, wow, that was, uh, (laughs) you spent a lot of time to sell very little product. Mm -hmm. Again, the person that came into my store, even if they had no idea about the world of tabletop gaming, they came in looking for a pastime. They came in willing to spend some money on that pastime. They know they can go online and they can buy anything in my store cheaper online. But you provide that service, they feel like, okay, person knows me, they appreciate me, they're going to point me in the right direction. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to give you uh, specific names, but it's always good, always good to have have a few games in your back pocket that you can diss <laughs> um, in front of your customers, not for the sake of dissing, and, and you certainly don't want to like diss that their their likes and enjoyments. But they, the customer needs to know you're not trying to sell them anything, and that you think everything you push on them is awesome, right? That's a level of trust sure. right there. 
oh, he's not just going to make me. The perfect example, perfect example. Hottest game. Well, Wingspan is probably the hottest game in the world right now. But you know, Board Game Geek number one, Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven's a phenomenal game. I I love it to death. People will come in because they've heard about it, mm -hmm. right? Because it gets buzz, it gets press. And it's like, here, it's right here. It's a $150 game. But my first inclination is I need to talk to you because this game, while awesome, is not for everybody. So <laughs> I need you to convince me of what you're looking for, what kind of game you want, before I'm going to kind of say, yes, I think you should buy this game. And I've turned many people away from Gloomhaven because it's not for them. You know, because they said, well, you know, the only thing I've really played is Ticket to Ride. I just heard this game is really good. Like, it is really good, but, you know, given your play style, who you're playing with, trust me, I'd love to, I'd love to make a $150 sale today. Sure. But not at the expense of them going home, pulling this thing out, realizing they're in over their head, that it's not what they want, that they're not going to enjoy it. And then they're going to feel bad, both because they spent $150 and wasted it, and they're not going to want to come back to my store because they're going to feel like, well, he told me it was good, but I don't think it's good. You know? Yeah, there goes that trust. There goes that trust. You know? Absolutely. And, and, but the, the, you do have the other tool in your toolbox that I like to tell people, um, <laughs> which is when someone's in the store and they're asking me, how's this game? That game's awesome. You'll love it. How's this game? That game's amazing. I can't wait to play it again. How's this game? And they eventually they go, you know, you're just telling me every single game is awesome. You just think every game in here is awesome. And I look them straight in the eye and I say, I own this place. I get to decide what goes on the shelf. Why would I put something on the shelf that I don't think is awesome? Yeah. So, which is not true. There are definitely a few things on the shelf that I don't think that are awesome, but they sell themselves and people ask for them. So that's fine. Yeah, that's fair. You know, if there's something that you don't particularly like, there will be plenty of customers who will be, you know, that's, that's exactly the game that they want and they need and you gotta be okay with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and that's actually the, the most important thing for me when hiring staff, I want to know that you can sell a game that you hate to mm. someone if it's right for them. That's a good skill. I've had a lot, I've had a lot of staff over the years that could not do that. <laughs> that as soon as someone says, Ooh, Hey, I love playing this game. I want to pick up a copy. They'll go, really? That game? No, you can't do that. <laughs> Don't rain on their fun. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, it, yeah. Gaming is a passionate hobby. And when there's passion, there's usually a, uh, a division between like this is my thing sure. and this is not my thing and there's always there's always a little bit of competition i say like you know <laughs> it's pretty common for card game players to be like oh board games yeah or you know board games to be board game players to uh to i don't want to say look down on but shun <laughs> like, no no that's not you know sure. video games are not for me those are for those are for video gamers that's totally different it's not the same thing. right yeah so it's an interesting <laughs> balance and i it's also difficult to hire out of that pool right because you want people who have the passion but also have the the business sense and the retail ability to right. like you said sell things that you don't particularly care for but you're right. able to to step out of your own shoes and think about what the customer actually wants and what they need and it might be perfect for them yeah. and you got to be able to say yeah and this is the one and that may be, I may have an advantage there because I'm focused on really just one or two aspects of the hobby, you know, just board games and role-playing games. So I don't, I don't have the, the cross, you know, the people that I hire like board games and I like role-playing games. So um, you, you, I can see that being a lot more difficult if you have the more, you know, fully fleshed out type of store that also does minis and maybe does comics too, and maybe also mm -hmm. does video games. Yeah, that can... It's a yeah. lot harder for people to be specialized in. Yeah, I feel like the Venn diagram of board games and RPGs kind of overlap quite a bit. Like you said, like especially the, I mean, not the D&D &D stuff, but the, the easier to pick up and play things. Mm -hmm. They're similar enough that you appeal to the same desires, whereas, uh, you know, some card games or like video games is like an entirely different, uh, it's, a, it's a different lifestyle, right? It's a different appeal to the different, right. uh, the people who like those things don't always like other forms of gaming and that's 
maybe right. not the same with war games and RPGs. And then, uh, yeah, the other thing that I was, I was thinking about while we were having this conversation was that you, I think, are, are really cognizant of the lifetime value of a customer. So like you said, mm -hmm. that uh, you knew that the trust value uh, that you would lose from recommending a game that the person wouldn't necessarily like would, wasn't worth it, right? If you recommend the Gloomhaven just to make the sale to somebody who's going to end up disliking right. it, that's, that's worse for the business in the long term and worse for the customer in the long term as well. The idea that, uh, you know, the person who buys from your business is, it's not just the one-off transaction, right? You got to think of, okay, how many times, how how much money is this person going to spend with me if I treat them right for the next five years, 10 years, potentially, or in your case, like, you know, 40 years, right? <laughs> the store has been open forever. You could have right. people who are, who are going into, uh, you know, grandparent age who could have been gamers the entire time, right? You could be oh, a absolutely. customer the entire time if you treat them right. So you don't even, you have, as a store owner, you have to be aware of, of uh, what the average lifetime value of a customer could be if you treat them properly and, and yeah. like you said, build that trust. And I think that's something that, yeah. uh, and, and those are metrics that are very easy to look at. I mean, if you have, mm -hmm. you know, if you have some sort of point of sale system, it's going to tell you, you know, your percentage of new customers, um, you know, when new customers, how often they've come back, you know, all of that. If you want just pure statistics on it, you can see that. Yeah. You just have to take advantage of it. And, yes. and then keep it in mind and actually implement it in the way that you do things. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any advice or tips for store owner or store owners who are uh, struggling right now? Like obviously, you know, you said that you've just managed to open up again in the last couple of months. Uh, what can other store owners do if they're having a difficult time? Yeah. Um, that is a, that is a tough one. I mean, this is where, the idiosyncrasies of everyone's business are striking, you know, and make it difficult. For me, I, I guess I would just say, don't be afraid to try any and everything. Um, don't be, when you're dealing with, with small businesses like most of us are, um, you can throw a little bit of money here and there just to try something. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you know, we tried, um, what did we try? We tried doing virtual consultations. So we're not letting people in the store, but maybe people zoom in, you know, like you can schedule a time to zoom with us and we'll show you around the store. Eh, didn't really work. Um, but you know, what did it cost us? $15 a month zoom membership, right? Mm -hmm. um, just trying things, you know, I, 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 I feel, I feel for the stores that are events driven. You know, they're the ones that are really, but I've seen a lot of people trying interesting things there. Again, using the technology, to, to hold tournaments or something like that. Just, just try things. The easiest thing to do right now is to feel like the sky is falling. I've got to give up. And obviously maybe you do, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> um, but you know, it's easy to sit back and do nothing and just say, you know what, we're going to wait till things are normal again. Um, and you can't do that. I mean, if you have an entrepreneurial spirit, which I hope you do. Uh, maybe you didn't have it when you first opened the game store, but if you've been open a while, hopefully you have it now. Um, be creative, try things. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but you really don't have much to lose. I mean, if you've got the time, which again, mm -hmm. a lot of us have the time right now, um, try it, you know, try the loyalty bonds. That was, that was huge for me. Um, I didn't expect it to be, but I had nothing to lose. Um, yeah, and and just reach out, reach out to publishers. The publishers have been hugely helpful during this time. I mean, maybe not helpful in a way that directly translates into yeah, you know, I'm putting more money in my pocket, but just they get it, they get where you're at. They're trying to help. Reach out to other game store owners, but take everything they say with a grain of salt, because, like I said, all of our businesses are so different, so idiosyncratic. Um, but by the same token, just be willing to try things. We don't know what it's going to look like when we come out of this. <laughs> um, but hopefully in the meantime, we can give people some fun and they'll remember us for that and keep coming back to us. Good stuff. And I think you've got 
a very good point there that you know you have to be able to adapt this is changing times you know things are tough right now but there's still a lot of things that we as business owners can do there's still a lot of things that you can take advantage of you just got to give them a shot and yeah staying put and just kind of waiting for things to blow over is probably not the best strategy at the moment mm -hmm. unfortunately it seems like this thing's gonna be here for a while and this is kind of the, the way things are going forward and we're gonna have to uh yeah we have to adapt to our strategies absolutely we're gamers you should be able to do that <laughs> exactly exactly this is right up our uh up our alley all right do you have any other closing or, thoughts or, or we just scream that ah, this game is broken i'm not playing this again <laughs> <laughs> yeah coronavirus is um, op yeah totally <laughs> um no i think uh, i think i've said you know what i can say yeah all right good luck to everyone <laughs> Good luck to everybody and all of us. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. This, I think, was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. And I think you've got something yeah. very interesting going on. And it was uh, really interesting learning about your business and, and how you do things. I think it'll really help a lot yeah. of game store owners. I hope it's helpful to people. I appreciate you having me on, Tom. All right. Well, let's say goodnight to the audience, and uh, we'll talk to them later. Ciao. All right, that's it for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I want to thank Kylie again for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts with us. Uh, you can find out more about Kylie and Games Unlimited by checking out the show notes for today's episode. If you want to run your own loyalty bond campaign for your game business, you can get started by going to maniversesaga.com forward slash honeycomb. Uh, that is maniversesaga.com forward slash honeycomb. And you can find out how to create a win-win for you and your customers by filling out the form and running your own loyalty bond campaign. A rep from Honeycomb Credit will connect with you to get you started. And remember, you don't have to be a Pittsburgh local to take advantage of what Honeycomb has to offer. I'm Tom Traplin, and I've been your host today. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.